0: TNKR Media.
1: Welcome to Today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business, presented by FL
0: Montreal. Dan Delmar and Mike Newton with you today. Hey, Mike. Hey, Dan, how are you? Good, how are you? Very good, thank you. Quite excited about this show. we're going to be talking about uh, artificial intelligence. We're going to be talking about clinical trials. And we're going to be talking about it in the context of some mental health issues, including uh, depression. Uh, for lo- those of you that know me well, I have battled uh, anxiety, severe anxiety and depression most of my life. And, and, and part of the battle initially when I started on medication was this tweaking to find the right formula. And you know, the, it, it's fascinating to see that we can now use technology in that direction and, and how to make that better so or 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 at least speed up efficacy and, and and time so this is this is a huge step quite uh, quite excited to to go through this exercise today
1: it's a combination of a couple of talents uh, dr david benrimo um he's a young doctor who's here who's entrepreneurial here in montreal teamed up with marina massingham an experienced uh, healthcare administrator and marketer and uh together they make afred health so they'll be joining us on the program and we're also going to talk to peter moradas a tax partner at FL later in the program about some of these tech startups and how to get all your affairs in order, your partnership agreements um, and your stock options and your, and all that, um, how to get all that in order to grow uh, with your business. But first, as usual, Mike, the, uh, the thought leadership segment, if you will. And um, this one is interesting off the top here, this piece from entrepreneur.com. And I can relate to this one. Five Ways to Build Remote Leadership Skills, and I want to start today with a bit of my own failing. I think, you know, I've been running a re- remote business since well before the pandemic, uh, mostly remote, I should say. We do show up on site um, when needed, but for communications, you know, you can be pretty much anywhere. I probably have failed a little bit. I have probably failed in, 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 cr- in not creating a, enough of a tight culture with all my employees and contributors online. What can I be doing better? I mean, it's you know, I don't want to use the pandemic as an excuse anymore. We can get together. We can have collaborative platforms. Um, What what should I be doing better to create a
0: a better remote culture? Well, I think there's two things that to to me that stand out. One is you know, using your time and your meetings strategically. You know, I think we've we've tried to balance at the beginning of COVID to make sure everybody was you know okay to check in on them regularly. So we just had this abundance of meetings, discussions, coffee check-ins, lunchtime this, whatever the case was to make sure that everybody was okay. Well, we've gotten past that segment now and we need to move away from, and I'm not saying move away from checking on your team, but not be bothering them three times a day to find out, hey, are you still, you know, you're still hanging in there, is everything good? So strategic with meetings, one of the big complaints I, I think that's, that it's just inundated everybody forget the fact that email seems to have tripled in 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 the last 20 months is this constant need to be in front of a camera having a face-to-face meeting so and the problem is is every single one of them is now being presented to you by way of a formal invite okay i need to talk to you so here's what it is here's the scenario you know you have six seven of these formal invitations a day. if you were in the office Half of those, if not more, would likely be conversations over the water cooler at the coffee machine. So, what it does is, is, is this fatigue associated with being on screen. There's a fatigue with saying, Hi, how are you? What's going on? And, and, and this whole kind of social aspect that we learned at the beginning of COVID, which now we need to find a way to just have it as part of our everyday operations.
1: Excellent point. And um, this piece uh, from Harvard Business Review on how to take that to the next level, five things high-performing teams do differently. And one of them, to your point, is to not rely necessarily on Zooms and to just pick up
0: the phone and have conversations. Yeah, it, it really is about going back to, you know, strategic conversations. And it doesn't mean that everything has to be orchestrated and everything. But, you know, if you're going to have a check-in, make sure that it is a reasonable and not a, a forced exercise on people. Um, you know, we want to go back to creating bonding. We don't have that time that we used to have where, like I said, the water cooler in the hallway, on the way to the washroom, you could have, hey, how's, how's the kids? You know, what'd you do on the weekend? This kind of social interaction that we... We've normally, you know, for for those of us that have been in the profession for a long time, have you come accustomed to having a conversation? Now, it's almost like I have to make an effort to call you and say, so how was your weekend? There's just something unnatural about all of that. So you have to find a way to create this bonding over non-work environment while not making it look like it's, you know, scripted. I'm wondering if we should have Zoom hangs or something like that, because, you know,
1: some staff members like just kind of like being left alone and others are, are the Slack types and really want to have to transpose those interactions on, on programs like Slack. I I don't like Slack. I think it's a time waster. I'm trying to find a balance
0: and I Still haven't quite found it yet. So you, you hit the nail on the head, Dan. And this is communication. It's a, it's finding a, an MO with the way we operate with our team members, understanding person X needs a little more coddling, a little more attention, person Y works better when you leave them alone. And, 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 you know, the way we've learned to do that in the office, you know, and and when you walk around in the morning to say hello to people, you know, who wants to have a conversation and those that just want to be left alone while they're doing, we need to find this same um, environment and, and communication Communication is going to play a very, very large role in all of this in order for us to try and find a way to not be too invasive while still making sure that we're not forgetting
1: anybody. And this piece from CNBC, um, Mike, what is the number one habit
0: successful leaders share according to executive coaches that have worked with Apple and Twitter? Um, I think the key element here goes way beyond Apple and Twitter. I I think what it does is there's a component to all of this that is communication, but it's in a very large part curiosity. It's understanding. It's asking questions. Um, You know, some people have a very hands-off approach to dealing with things, um, but I think success finds... finds itself in asking questions and continuing to learn not just about yourself and, and which you know what you're capable of doing. I'm, I'm a huge uh, fan in learning something new every day until the day I die. Um, but in large part, is it's about talking to your people. It's what's working, what's not working. How do we fix this? How can we help you? What tools do you need? And you know, the entrepreneurial side is you, you've you've got people on the ground. You've got people that are doing these tasks. The last thing somebody sitting in their you know quasi ivory tower in the corner office is to know the mechanisms of 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 the day to day, unless they're out there with people, unless they're out there experiencing things with them. Asking questions, rolling up their sleeves, and being involved. So I think a very large part of all of this goes goes to trying to learn and improve the way we approach work, Uh, not just the work itself, but how we do it. How can we make processes better? And it's it's this constant state of 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 learning. For sure, and every entrepreneur should make time um, throughout
1: their week to do a little learning. I mean, I'm fortunate that I can put aside you know an early morning hour every day to do reading and read the papers and all that, but. Uh, whether most entrepreneurs can do that uh, early in the morning, or or just find some time throughout the week to just you know read the trades, you know read read the influencers in your in your area of expertise, and make sure that you're up to date.
0: 100%. My, my, my biggest complaint of, of most professionals is that inability to, you know, talk the talk and walk the walk of so many different aspects of, of, of what they're doing. And, you know, as much as I'd love to say that everybody's an expert in their domain, uh, there's more to life than that. And and you learn from other elements, you learn from other professionals. So just reading your own trade mags and, and 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 seeing what's going on is not enough. You have to be out there understanding trends with industry. You have to be able to follow technology. You have to be able because there is not just one thing that makes your business successful. So learning and, and, and trying to extract from multiple sources, to me, is, is key. Our lifestyle is not conducive to that, though. I mean, our lifestyle is crammed with so many different activities and so many things to do. It becomes a discipline to read. Uh, and, you know, uh, people just, most of them feel they don't have time for it. And I think that's, I think that's a huge loss
1: part of the reason we do this segment, really, because we want to encourage people to read business publications. Uh, we love Harvard Business Review and to just keep to d- up to date on the latest uh, conversations. So one last one, you wanted to pick this fast company piece, why leaders need to resist the urge to fix everything. And indeed, you know, some things that seem like problems often are just a symptom of an evolving industry. Maybe, maybe we're not keeping as up to date as we should.
0: Maybe it's not a problem so much as something that we need to adapt to. Yeah, I think there's two elements to this. And I think you got to silo the, the, the two approach. One is uh, the urge to fix things in crisis uh, and seizing an opportunity where you just don't necessarily have the time to challenge people and, and, and go through that exercise. And then there's the day to day operational side of things. And, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs are control freaks. Uh, and the desire to fix it now and get it done, so let's move on to something else, poses a problem because a lot of people believe don't learn. They don't. Uh, they don't find ways to to get themselves out of an issue. They don't necessarily learn by you know by, by making a mistake if you fix it for them. I guess not much you know not much different than our kids' homework. At the end of the day, if you do your kids' homework for them, they're not going to learn. So you know there's a fine balance between efficiency, learning, and creating people who are problem solvers at the end of the day. But I do go back to that concept. If you're sitting like we were at the beginning of the pandemic, it's not necessarily the time to open the floor for uh, for people who are, are sitting in a panic mode and have never experienced something before. You might not have the the latitude of, of, of waiting that long in order to do something. And Mike, we're talking tech, and this is... Um...
1: A really interesting product. I think for so many years, as you were saying uh, earlier in the program, you know, there's been a, a trial and error system when it comes to finding the right medication, especially for people suffering from depression, and our two guests today are tackling that problem. Yeah, it's
0: it's it's a fascinating uh, side of things. I mean, we all know through COVID, uh, mental uh, wellness or mental health issues have really come to the forefront in in, in many facets, uh, whether that's in your family life or whether that's in the business life. And we're finally starting to lose the stigma associated with uh, with a lot of this. So it's nice to to see you know uh, alternative approaches. It's nice to see technology being used in in very positive ways. So I'm I'm actually quite fascinated to uh, to to bring this uh, to the forefront today. and and get started on this, Dan.
1: Let's welcome David Benrimo and Marina Massingham, co-founders of AFRED Health. David and Marina, welcome to today's Entrepreneur.
2: Thank you for having us today. Lovely to be here, thank you.
1: So first, uh, perhaps let's begin with Marina. The simplest question, uh, what is AFRED Health? And that's spelled A-I-FRED Health.
2: Uh, AFRED Health, thank you for the question, is a startup born and raised in Montreal. um, And we focus on clinical decision support in mental health. Our goal is to support doctors in making the best possible treatment decisions for their patients with complex mental health conditions, with the goal of getting more patients to remission and those patients to remission faster.
0: So it's going to beg the question, I guess, on on uh, for the average listener who's trying to understand this process i mean there's quite a strong technical component to all of this obviously but you know for those people that have either suffered from depression or know somebody that is suffering from depression it's 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 a very painful exercise to to live through and 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 some of the biggest issues associated with uh, trying to treat uh, mental health issues revolves around the shall I call it from lack of a medical term, the tweaking of medication or treatment in order to find the right mix that is uh, appropriate for an individual. Um, so how, how is AFRED really trying to, to work into this? I mean, this could be a long period before somebody, two, three, four months, before somebody can get an idea of what medication is working. How are you changing this?
3: Sure. So the idea behind uh, what we're trying to do is we're basically saying, look, um, we've been trying for years to figure out how to match the right patient to the right treatment at the right time. And we haven't yet found a, an effective way of doing this uh, in, a, in a quick way that a clinician and their patient can use in the clinic, in a visit, on a telemedicine visit, um, without you know needing to resort to expensive tests or things like that. So what we said is, the problem is we don't we have a lot of data and information about patients we don't know how to put it together in a way that lets us make this prediction so we said can we use artificial intelligence and the specialty of artificial intelligence is to look at lots of data and find patterns can we use this pattern finding technology to find the patterns that will help us better match the right patient to the right treatment at the right time and that's what we've been working on at afrid health we've basically built a system that takes in uh, information about patients simple easy to collect stuff about their symptoms and their demographics Um, And combines that um, using an artificial intelligence or neural network model that's learned from thousands and thousands of patients um, and finds the pattern that fits this patient to help us predict which of the many available treatments might be best positioned to help them get better. So that we can avoid people having to try a whole bunch of treatments one after the other without really knowing which one uh, is the most likely to
0: help them. So this is really to increase efficacy as well as increasing the time frame involved in all of this. So finding the right approach and finding the right approach quicker.
3: Yeah, that's it.
0: Okay. So what I mean, obviously, this is not uh, your run of the mill process. I mean, there's technology involved, there's clinical trials involved. Um, you know. I, maybe start us off from the beginning of the conception of the idea through where you are now. And, I, and I'm well aware that there are certain parts of this that are you know, rather delicate and we won't ask you to go into certain things. But you know, can you give us a picture from when you started, what brought you to this exercise, you know, obviously from your, your clinician approach to where you are now and where you want this to go in the time frame?
3: So I think I can give you the, the beginning and then I'll pass it off to Marina to tell, us, to tell you a little bit more about how we became a business, a real business. Um, so this all started uh, with uh, some colleagues of mine, uh, Kelly Perlman, Robert Fritilla, Sonia Israel, who are all co-founders of AFRID, um, having an idea that they wanted to apply to this thing called the XPRIZE, um, and they wanted to do that using a artificial intelligence to help uh, people who um, were suffering uh, with depression. Um, so they called me Nia, got involved, um, and we, uh, we made a startup together. And the idea was exactly what we've been talking about, to use AI to better target uh, treatments to patients with depression. And so we were going along and we were, we were building out our technology, pl- planning our, our initial studies. And we realized what we need <laughs> is we need a real CEO, somebody who knows business, somebody who can take us from being a bunch of very clever uh, people with an idea that it looks like it's going to work, to uh, a business that can actually execute this idea and bring it out into the market. And so we were very, very blessed to find Marina and I'll let Marina take it from there.
2: So for me, when I joined AFRED as professional CEO in early January of 2019, uh, the team was already working on their AI model, but what they hadn't been yet able to do was to put any structure around the business, any operations, any processes. And having been in two uh, startups myself previously uh, within Canada I was able to help on that side able to help to put in paid basic business processes but also raise funding so in the summer of 2019 we raised a pre-seed round and in December of last year we raised a seed round and we've used those pieces of funding to really fund our research to do um, both pilot projects and in-depth studies um, with real patients and real clinicians in partnership with institutions here in Montreal, and um, now we are using those funds to prepare for our clinical trial.
0: So, Marina, maybe take us a take a step back here. I mean, AI or artificial intelligence is you know we're, we're throwing it around here like people understand what it means. Um, I think for a lot of people, AI could be synonymous to automation of processes, which is not at all what we're talking about here. AI is, yeah, I guess, the intellectual side of, of, of machine learning and machine thinking. And, you know, how would this change from, um, you know, just, just traditional clinical trials where we use data entry and, and, and where we're going? Because I know that one of the issues that we have when we're trying to explain the AI component to people is it's you still need people at the end, you still need somebody mm-hmm. analyzing the data, you, you're, you're not eliminating the doctor or in this case you're not eliminating the clinician, you're basically adding another tool to the arsenal.
3: Exactly, so really um, the AI here is, is about pattern recognition It's about finding, um, basically looking at patient data, understanding how that fits with all the other data that the model has learned from, and using that to make predictions about what might help this patient. And it's all meant to be a tool. Uh, It's almost as if it was a digital blood test, if you will, right? It's we're 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 taking a sample from a patient. In this case, it's data instead of a blood sample. Um, That data goes into the AI model. So it goes into the AI model instead of going into, for example, a a machine that that analyzes blood samples. And it produces a result uh, that the clinician can then interpret and used to help make their clinical decisions. At no point do we replace the clinician. We don't make any decisions that aren't uh, that aren't actually taken by the clinician
0: themselves. So a large part of this then ultimately is really about having a proper database, I would assume, right? Having access. If you're looking at trends, you're not only looking at that individual trend, but you're looking at trends of other people that have led to certain treatments or certain outcomes and, and analyze like that.
3: Yeah, that's exactly right. So we, um, we had to put together data from um, over 10,000 patients uh, who've gone through antidepressant trials before, and that's the data we use to train our model.
1: Guys, tell me first about, um, about the, where this product is going. So in the future, you're going to be going through targeting a few different areas in particular, mental health included, but uh, what is your area of research currently? And uh, what is the next big breakthrough in this in this field?
2: So, our current area of focus is depression. It's a very complex condition, as you've described. And we're taking our AI model into clinical trial because when you apply a model like this to help clinicians to make their decisions, you need to make sure that there is uh, rigor in the way that the model has been built and what it takes in, how it's been trained. And so, taking the model into full-scale regulatory clinical trial, 350 patients over 10 sites across North America, so both Canada and in the US, is a very necessary step to get to regulatory approval um, from Health Canada and from the FDA. So this technology can be available to clinicians in order to use it with their patients.
3: Yes. So the clinical trial we're working on is very interesting because essentially what we're doing is we're we're, we're, we're testing this uh, assistive tool to clinicians uh, in this trial, um, and it's actually a, a fairly novel uh, kind, of, uh, kind of tool to test in this field, uh, where we've worked very hard to build um, a clinical trial design that um, is going to capture all of the aspects we need, and that's really going to robustly show that our tool can help improve patient outcomes.
0: So when we, we look at this, I mean, this is not just trying to tweak the proper medication here, you're talking about anything in terms of different types of treatments and whether that is uh, psychotherapy, whether it's medication, whether it is, you know, you, you're, you're looking to take this data from 10,000 people and try and find a pattern and an approach that's then going to give the clinician tools to then determine whether they should go direction A, direction B, direction C in treating an individual.
3: So our our AI model actually currently focuses on medications because that's what there's the most data available for. However, we build our data model into a clinical algorithm. And this clinical algorithm um, is based on existing best practice guidelines that we've taken and turned into a little assistant basically. Uh, And this assistant does provide information about psychotherapy and other important things uh, that the clinician might want to uh, consider when they're treating the patient.
0: So to take this to a business angle, I mean this this is this is a startup entity. This is something that ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, it's nice to say you had all the money in your own pockets, but I mean, you have to go through rounds of financing. You have to uh, take this as. You know, I, I guess people are familiar with the biotech environment and, and and building that. Now we're getting into AI, which kind of is a little bit out there for a lot of people. Is it, it, it is this pretty much the same way as you would approach a, a biotech company? I and mean, Marina, you you said you'd worked on a couple of previous startups. guess. Like, yeah, where's the similarities here in, 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 in what we're looking at?
2: The term, the process of raising financing is very similar. So I co-founded a specialty pharma company and had exit in 2015. The stages you go through to raise financing are, are very standard, both within um, AI and health, more broadly digital health technologies and more broadly health overall. I think what it is very different is the amount of money that you need to raise in order to conduct a clinical trial. The way we conduct the trial is in some ways more complex because this is novel technology. So when we do our clinical trial, this will be the first time this technology, type of technology, has been applied in mental health, in a clinical trial environment, anywhere in the world. So in that sense, it's it's a complex um, undertaking, but it actually does have many areas where you can reduce costs versus a traditional trial. So for example, you do not have to have patients come into offices and have blood samples taken in the same way as you may do in a traditional trial. The medications that we're talking about also have already been approved. So these are already medications that are available in the market. That affects also the way you conduct the trial, which in turn also has uh, an impact on the cost of the trial and therefore how much money you need at each stage of your, your financing as you grow the business. I think it's really
3: interesting is that it's, it's really in between this whole biotech notion and uh, a pure software company, right? Because you've got this tool that is um, basically it's software um, enabling biotech in the sense that we're a software providing um, information that might help you choose between different um, uh, medication options. Um, and we're living right at the crossroads between those two worlds, which is very interesting and often um, needs to be really carefully explained uh, to, uh, to, to, to people for them to get it. But uh, it's a very interesting new world. And I think it's something you're going to be seeing a lot more of uh, in, in times to come.
0: Yeah, I think one of the interesting, interesting aspects is, you know, from, from a biotech, it could be a seven to 10 year, you know, cycle from the, the moment you start to the moment you actually get some kind of approval. We're not talking because, like you said, the medication's already been approved. You still have to go through Health Canada. You still have to go through the exercise, but you're kind of cradle to grave in, in getting there. I, I'm assuming is significantly less in this type of uh, process, correct?
2: Absolutely. So there's many fewer stages to our clinical trial process versus uh, molecule discovery. Uh, this would be more uh, akin to a post-marketing trial that a pharmaceutical company or a biotech company might do. And because the product is already, the, the treatments are already available on the market, um, you have many fewer steps to go through in your approval process.
1: Now, once you're there, let's talk a bit about marketing. Um, I know just from the limited experience that I have, and Marina, I'm curious about, about your thoughts. What goes through your head when you're trying to market a new medical product? I mean, all the things to balance public health, uh, liability, w- what, what are you juggling with on a day-to-day basis marketing-wise?
2: Well, the first challenge is is the regulatory process, because that's still in development, actually, on the Health Canada and the FDA side, we are getting new uh, guidance uh, almost on a weekly basis at the moment. So before we obviously can commercialize this uh, AI model, we have to make sure that we're up to date with the changing regulations and guidance so that... Um, We present, we conduct the clinical trial correctly, and also we present our submission in the right way, answering key questions that the FDA and Health Canada might have. Um, At the end of the day, when you think about the benefit of the tool from a healthcare system perspective, and that's really our our target market. So this is not something that we're selling directly to patients or consumers. This is something that we sell to healthcare systems, clinics, hospitals. Uh, You're really looking at three elements. You're looking at improving quality of care you're looking at improving the efficiency with which care is delivered, and you're looking at improving the outcomes for patients, which itself has many cost benefits to the healthcare system.
0: So then I, I guess just to kind of finish off on, on the marketing angle of this, your, your, your approach uh, is, is really not going to be at, at marketing to the individual, but rather marketing, marketing into the clinicians or the hospitals or uh, whatever the process may be from there. So I guess taking that approach, uh, it's not a traditional, again, kind of falling into the biotech side, but not a traditional approach from a marketing to eventually have this go to market perspective, correct?
2: That's correct, so where a pharmaceutical company might have a large primary care sales force that goes doctor to doctor across the territory, um, we are really going from the, the top down, from the healthcare system administration for the hospital or clinic administration to show the benefits of our tool and for them to sponsor the licenses that cover their physicians.
1: And we'll have the one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur from our entrepreneurs, David and Marina, co-founders of AFRED Health, coming up uh, in just a few minutes. But first, let's bring back Peter Joseph Moraitis, tax partner at FL Florlando, to talk about stock options, especially in the tech industry, when you get venture capital involved, when you're growing really rapidly, and how complicated those uh, arrangements can get. Uh, Peter, welcome back.
4: Thanks, Dan. Um, I was trying to think of a tax topic that was just as complicated as AI, and I I came up with the the idea of stock options. I think it's very relevant now um, with the labor shortages and the labor market now. Uh, Just so everybody understands, the um, stock options are um, essentially used as a tool for for all companies, but I find for startups uh, in tech or in bio, uh, uh, biotech, uh, can be very advantageous because one of the things that, um, startups don't have is necessarily revenues or cash flows to be able to fund or pay for their, their costs. And one of their biggest costs normally ends up being payroll and, uh, and key, key staff and having options will allow them to, um, uh, compensate their employees, not with cash today, but potentially future growth in the actual company in the future. It's
1: worth noting, Mike, that um, that especially when we're dealing with tech companies, uh, a lot of investors growing rapidly, really important to have all your paperwork in line, whether it's an employee agreement or your
0: your, your partnership agreement. Yeah, the, I mean, the backup to this process is is phenomenally complicated. Uh, and, you know, it's not just a cocktail napkin uh, approach to dealing with things. You're going to have options agreements. You're going to have shareholders agreements. Uh, within those, you're going to have out clauses. You are going to have next round funding clauses. Um, you know, in some cases, companies have stayed away from uh, stock options and gone to phantom type plans. So, I, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's out there. You got to make sure you've got the right uh, legal counsel, obviously, to, to help support and, and build all of these things. And, you know, Peter, from a from a tax angle, uh, you know, we've heard from years in Canada that there's a difference between you know stock options uh, issued that are a public company, private company, you know, a Canadian controlled company. Can you demand a little of this for, for us yeah so just um the 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 tax
4: benefit i guess of why options are used a lot is that um the growth in the in the share price from when the options are granted to the employees uh to when um they're actually exercised so when the employee exercises them that growth is actually uh it's considered like a salary so it's added to their to their employment income their t4 but if certain, um, if certain characteristics are met, they're able to get something called the stock option deduction for 50% of that amount, which essentially taxes it at a capital gains rate, which is similar to if they have the, the, own the actual shares themselves. Um, and so what's happened is um, finance uh, had reviewed a lot of this in the past, and it seemed that a lot of people that were benefiting from this were higher income earners, And just in 2021, as of July 1st, um, a lot of the larger public companies will be limited in terms of um, what their employees can benefit from the stock option deduction. But after a couple of years of of consultations, they have came out and said that any CCPCs, which are these Canadian controlled private corporations or other uh, companies, whether they're foreign controlled or public, But that are below uh, $500 million of annual sales will still be, um, there won't be any cap anymore um, in terms of the stock option deduction. So that's really a benefit uh, that we'll maintain for these growing companies that need to uh, attract talent.
0: So very rarely do I put my my CPA geek hat on, but uh, you know when it comes to financial statement presentation on a lot of these issues, I mean these are these are very complex processes in terms I mean in terms of funding, uh, employment and trying to find a way to to keep your employees uh, compensated and and involved. And you know I got to tell you that when I went through finance at McGill, I never thought I'd actually see a use for the Black Scholes pricing model, but uh, it actually has a place in all of this, and it is a very complex. Exercise. So the option ex- the, the option approach is um, very good, um, but you also have to weigh the costs associated with it. Uh, many small companies over the years have tried using the stock options and have found that ultimately uh, they weren't big enough. And the costs associated with trying to put a plan in place was just, you know, overwhelmingly uh, laborious and, and, and costly to them. Um, Maybe just to finish off, Pete, just just a little bit in terms of, you know, the venture capital side of, you know, maybe the dilution on on some of these things and, and what that ultimately means to my stock options.
4: Um, I think the one of the things is even for founders, let's say we talk about um, the employees here, but even for founders after a, a capital raise, um, they, they'll see their interest diluted and um, because of the tax benefits. We see like a lot of uh, founders themselves, even though they already have equity in the business, they might want to be able to grow their share of the business and have a tax, uh, tax uh, benefit to, to, to their comp package, essentially. Um, so that's something that really gets, um, that, that we really see a lot in the industry.
0: Yeah, a lot of people feel ultimately at the end of the day that, you know, they're giving up a percentage uh, by, you know, either VC or whatever the scenario may be, but ultimately at the end of the day, 100% of nothing, uh, you know, is certainly not sure. worth more than, you know, 40% of something worth a lot more. So if you're going to go this route, again, it's long term, it's, it's valuation, and it's, it's a much bigger play, but not for the faint of heart, Pete, when it comes to when it comes to stock options. So thanks a lot for, uh, for the insight into there.
4: Thank you.
1: Peter Joseph Moretis, thanks so much. And now to conclude the show, let's turn to Marina Massingham and Dr. David Benrimo from AFRED Health. And let's ask them for their one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur. Uh, Marina, would you like to begin?
2: I would say my one piece of advice is assuming you have an idea you're passionate about and assuming it solves a big problem, make sure you gather a stellar team around you. I'm a big believer that a startup is only as good as the, the team that propels the idea and builds the company. And this is the prime reason why I certainly, I joined AFRED Health, and that's why I continue to love what I do every day. And David?
3: Well, Marina still mine. Um, but uh, <laughs> what I'd love to say is, uh, aside from that, a lot of people, when especially when we're talking about emerging technology, especially when AI uh, became, and it continues to become a big thing, you know, there's this there's this immediate rush to want to just use a technology because it's hot and because it's exciting, right? Um, when actually what you should be doing is figuring out that problem that you're passionate about and building a solution that solves that problem. Because no one wants to buy uh, a company or, 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 or buy from a company that builds technology without a purpose. You want to really have a problem and then solve that problem using the appropriate tech. And that's why at AFRID, you know, we thought long and hard about what the appropriate technology was. And it turned out to be AI, but we had reasons for it. Um, so what I would say to entrepreneurs is pick the right tech for your problem, not the right problem for your tech.
1: Great advice, Dr. David Benrimo, Marina Massingham, co-founders of AFRED Health, that's spelled A-I-FRED Health, if you want to check them out. Uh, thanks so much for your contribution today. And uh, that's that'll do it for this week, Mike. See you back here next week. And a reminder, you can subscribe to, to Today's Entrepreneur as a podcast on iHeartRadio, iTunes, or your favorite platform. And also log on to the website, todaysentrepreneur.org for hundreds of local entrepreneur profiles. Have a great week and see you back here next week, Mike. As always, thanks, Dan.
2: Of TNKR Media. Good talk.